Well, last week we started this series called Vertigo. Vertigo is a condition in the middle ear that causes you to feel like you've lost your equilibrium. You get dizzy, literally, even when you're sitting still in bed. You feel like you're on an amusement park ride and you can't get off. We suggested that people could get spiritual vertigo and that we could become disoriented spiritually, lose our equilibrium spiritually, and that there are people, things, and experiences that can cause us to have that happen inside of our souls. This meal is a unique meal, right? Like no other meal on the face of the earth. It's one the Holy Spirit surrounds, and somehow by taking in this Jesus, we uh, have our spiritual vertigo dealt with deep inside in mysterious ways. Uh, Let's pray this morning, and then we'll get started on this week's journey of spiritual vertigo. Let's pray. Jesus, we can only say thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. We, we can't imagine how far you came down, how much you lowered yourself to take on flesh, and then to yield to death, even death on a cross. That's why you are the highly exalted one, the, the Lord of heaven and earth, who sits at the right hand of God and rules the universe. And that's why we know that in your name, Jesus, we can find power to deal with all the disorienting things that happen in our lives. Lord, this morning again, we pray for your presence to be powerfully felt here. We pray for your Holy Spirit to be here. We pray that your Spirit would speak to your people. Thank you for hearing our prayer. your name we pray. Amen. I used to be a teacher at a Christian school, a Bible teacher, and the best reasons to be a teacher are June, July, and August, you know, right? And uh, so in the month of June, I was finally home after a long year of teaching. I was home, and I was out in my driveway. It was a beautiful summer morning. I don't even know what I was doing out there. Maybe I was sweeping the driveway. Maybe I was staring in the space, enjoying the weather. But as I'm standing there, my wife comes to the side screen door in her house, and she yells out, Jeffrey, I need you in here right now. And, I, and then she leaves. So I go in the house, and I'm looking around. I, I don't see anybody. And so I say, where are you guys? And I hear a voice in the basement. We're down here. Come down here right away. So I come down the stairs in the basement, and as I come around the corner, this is what unfolds before me. There is a group of children, three of them, six, four, and two, roughly. There's a tipped-over paint can with white paint all over the rug. There are three children who are totally white from head to toe. They have taken the paint and painted their hair, their arms, their clothes, their legs, everything you can imagine. There are white fingerprints all over the walls. The toys are white. There's white footprints all over the carpet. Now, of course, as any good dad would do, I held, only one question came on my mind at the time, and that was this. What happened here? And uh, my oldest son took up the spokesperson role. He said, well, Dad, you see, yesterday we were down here painting these shelves with Mom, and we got a little paint on our hands, and Mom said, no big deal. This kind of washes off with soap and water. So today, I've made these cans into like a drum set, and I was drumming on these cans, and then one tipped over, and we just thought, well, this will be great, and we just started painting. The next question that popped into my mind, why did I think having kids was a good idea? We spent the next eight hours roughly cleaning up children, rugs, walls. For years in our basement, there was actually white paint everywhere. That we couldn't get out because it dried before we could clean it. Now I wonder if God ever asked himself the same question. 
Why did I think having kids was a good idea? I mean, when he looks down here and sees this, I don't know, painty mess that we got going on here, he probably just shakes his head sometimes and thinks, really? Really? What are you people up to? And it's interesting because the writers of the Westminster Catechism, they actually began their catechism with that question. Why did God make people? And you know how they answered it? So that, that they could glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Now, I, I thought, that's interesting. I need to dig into that. So I dug into that a little bit, and I thought, okay, what's it mean to glorify God? Well, glory is, God's glory is so bright that in the book of Revelation, it says that all of heaven is lit by His glory. It says that there's no need for a lamp, a light, a moon, a sun, a star, because God's glory lights the whole place. If you study God's glory, it actually uh, means that God has weight. He's heavy, and he's significant, and he's, uh, he's, he's bright. So whenever God's glory descended on a place, it had weight and significance and brightness. The, the Israelites experienced it in the temple, right? They brought the Ark of the Covenant in, and God's glory settled on the temple, and it said the priests could not perform their duties because the glory of God had filled the temple so much. So when it, means, when it says we're supposed to glorify God, it means that we're supposed to literally be reflections of God's glory to the world. Because we're made in His image. So as image bearers, the only image bearers in the face of the planet, we're supposed to have lives that when people look at us, they should see like a mirror, a reflection of God's brightness, heaviness, and significance. Okay? This is scriptural. Yeah, it is. Look at Isaiah 43. Check it out. So don't be afraid. I'm with you. I'll round up all your scattered children, pull them in from east and west. I'll send orders north and south, send them back. Return my sons from distant lands, my daughters from faraway places. I want them back. Every last one who bears my name, every man, woman, and child whom I created for my glory, yes, personally formed and made each one. David continues this in Psalm 8. Look what he says. What are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care for them. Yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. So our lives, literally, we are made. The purpose for our existence is to reflect to the world God's amazing glory. We are made for glory. Now, if this doesn't work for you, let me, let me do it this way. Parents, you know that your children, right, are a reflection of you, right? When you go in a restaurant, people look at your kids, they're looking at you going, oh yeah, oh yeah, right? This happened to me years ago. My, my wife has this friend in college, and uh, we used to call her the perf, short for perfect. Her hair was perfect. Her clothes was perfect. Her voice was perfect. She was always on time. She walked perfect. It was amazing to watch, really, seriously. It was nauseating, frankly. I was like, ah, Okay? But the perf, we're still friends with the perf today, and, and the perf, you know, is amazing. I was at my wife's apartment one time, and, and she's waiting, the perf is waiting for her dad to pick her up for something they're going to. And so her dad's late, and she's standing by the door, and she's pointing her watch, and she's just flabbergasted their dad's. I mean, no perf is ever late, right? So her dad comes in, and this is what I observe. She says to him, Daddy, you're late. He says, Angel, I'm sorry, I was caught in traffic. Daddy... Uh, you know, I was worried about you. You could have been hurt. And Angel, it's okay. We should probably get going before we're really late. And Daddy, Angel, and off they go. 
I'm like, oh boy. An hour later, she comes back to the apartment. You know what she says? I'm sorry, guys, for arguing with my dad in front of you. <laughs> this is an argument? Angel, daddy, angel, daddy. That's not an argument. That's not an argument at all. That's not an argument. Argument's like yelling, screaming, throwing things. That's an argument. That's what my house looks like, but here's the perf. She argues like this. Angel, daddy, angel, daddy. It's terrible. So just imagine this. My, my wife and her have been friends for years, and so she invites us over to her house one time early in our marriage when we first had our kids with our children to her house. I'm thinking, this is a nightmare. My kids at the purse house, she's going to be looking at those kids and, and drawing conclusions about me as a father the whole night. So I get my kids together and say, kids, we're going to the purse house. It's time to get it together. Now, I don't know what happened this night. We got to the purse house. We sat at dinner. My oldest son never eats anything put on his plate, ever. That night he sat there, ate everything. I looked at my wife, I said, what's going on? I said, the perf must have rubbed off on him or something. My kids sat beautifully. In the meantime, the the perf's kids were going loopy, loopy, all over the house. I was like, perf, woo! In your face. (laughs) And then the best thing could have happened, ever happened, never happened again, I don't think. My, My little son, my oldest son, turns to me, finishes his food, and he says, Dad, um, I'd like to say my prayer before I leave the table. I'm like, oh, hallelujah. So I say, Perf, could you quiet your wild children down so my son can say his evening prayers? And Ben says this little prayer, and he, and he walks away from the table. That night, my kids were a perfect reflection of my glory. And that's what we're designed to be. A perfect reflection of our Father's glory. When, when people look at us, they should draw conclusions about our God and how glorious He is. When they watch us live our lives, they should be like, wow, that Father God is amazing. He's glorious, He's weighty, He's significant. Now, of course, that leads to another question. How's it going? When I look in the mirror... Uh, I don't know, something's not quite working out here. Something's been planted inside me. We call it sin, I think. That is keeping me from reflecting my Father's glory, from, from living up to the purpose for which I was made, the purpose for which I was created. Something's not happening quite right. I- I'm sure you feel it too, right? It's like my, my life's not an accurate reflection of this amazing Father who made me. Something's gone haywire. And the bigger question is, is there a way back to being glorious again? Is there a way back to enjoying God forever by by being the glorious reflection that he made us to be? Well, yeah, there is. And it begins with acknowledging three truths about our relationship with God. The first truth is this. We have to acknowledge that we have failed to glorify God. You know this verse, right? For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Or we all fall short of God's glory. Yeah. We, we've sinned. We, we mess up. We don't have lives that reflect this glory properly to the world. And, and the thing is, I think everybody out there knows that. I, I think everybody here knows that deep down inside. And I think people that don't even go to church know this deep down inside. I think as you look at the world and talk to people, everyone knows deep down inside that something's not quite right about the way we live our lives. There's got to be more. I mean, people, everyone I talk to in my neighborhood, there's got to be more. 
Because people have this deep hunger and deep thirst to live for the purpose for which God created them, which is to glorify God. And people that don't even know God know that something's not quite right. And we hunger to return to that glorious place for which we are created. We hunger to be significant again in that same way that God made us. And so we go after it in all kinds of ways. Now, Romans 1.23 takes us a little further. It goes like this. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship Him as God or even give Him thanks. They began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. It says in another version, they exchanged the glory of God for images made to look like birds and animals and reptiles and created things. Now, why would we do that? Why would we do that? And I'm going to bring out my volunteer. I'm going to show you how this works. Tom's going to come out and help me out. Because see, the enemy knows, the enemy knows this about us. The enemy knows this hunger inside to return to our glory. But what the enemy does is he convinces us that there is a better way back. There's another way back. There's other ways back to be glorious. Those are idols. Idols promise a lot. They deliver very little. And they demand much from us. And the demands grow and grow and grow and grow the more we pursue these idols. So in our attempt to be glorious, we've bought into the scheme of the enemy. Here's what the enemy does. He says, you want to be glorious again? What you need to do is get some trophies. You need to get like some, some I don't know, a, a promotion, a better title. Maybe some certificates or something to make you significant. And he appeals to our pride and the more we get one trophy, we need to get another trophy, and another trophy, and another trophy, and another promotion, and something else. We become like circus dancing bears performing in the circus, just trying to make ourselves more significant. Here's another one the enemy uses. He says, hey, you know, if you want to be significant, what you need is some money, because people with money are significant. They got the right kind of cars, they got the right kind of houses, they got the right kind of clothes. The more money you get, the more significant you'll get. But once we get some money, we get more money, and we have to keep working hard to get more of that money, and pretty soon we're on this treadmill and we can't get off. The enemy continues his lies. He says, hey, you know, if you want to be significant, you need to look good. And so we work really hard at this in our culture. We want to look good. We got makeovers. We got physical fitness, pandemonium going on. We got, we got celebrities shooting themselves full of stuff so much they don't even look natural anymore. Because the enemy is teaching them, hey, if you want to be glorious, you've got to maintain your youth, you've got to look good, maintain your health. And, and last but not least, the enemy says, hey, you want to be glorious? What you need is just to live life to the fullest. Get whatever you can of it. You know, pursue pleasure. Have fun. Have a great time. Take some more vacations. Pour into yourself. If you pour into yourself, you'll be glorious again. And we exchange the glory of God for images made to look like animals and reptiles and birds and the worship of ourselves. And once the enemy convinces us this is the way to go, he takes the key 
says, thank you very much. And now we're imprisoned in this crazy way. Thanks, Tom. Just head over there. We'll back with you in a few minutes. Okay. So it all begins your way back, acknowledging that you've failed to glorify God with your life. The second thing you have to acknowledge about your relationship with God is God's wisdom in Christ to bring and restore us to this place of glory. Now look at Romans 5. It says this, When we are utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us. Us sinners. Now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending, his, sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Have you ever asked yourself the question, why did Jesus need to die? I mean, why couldn't God just, in his power, snap his fingers and return us to our glory? I mean, he's got all the power in the world. Why not just use that power to deal with this sin problem and take off the chains and just be done with the whole thing? We've got to think about this for a little while because... You know, God said to Adam and Eve, he said, don't eat from this tree in the middle of the garden. If you do, you'll surely die. Now, God has to be true to who he is as a person. If he's not true to who he is, then he's not God. So God is loving and gracious and kind and merciful. Right? He's also righteous, holy, 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 just, and good. So when Adam and Eve take from that tree, if he kills them, he's not honoring his gracious, loving, merciful, kind nature. But if he just says, hey, no big deal, we'll just let this one go this time, then he's not honoring his holy, righteous, just, good nature. So God has to come up with a solution that's going to honor all these pieces of who he is and the way he made the universe and the rules for which he has to play. Okay, so let me show you how he did this. Let me bring out uh, another illustration here. Thank you. So this is you and I. Stained with sin. We're supposed to be a reflection of God's glory. But... When the light shines through us, it just kind of gets diffused into a big mess. And this, this is God's anger because of this sin. He's mad. Just like any good father would be mad at their children for the painty mess, he's angry. And this is what God would do if he could take out his anger on sinners. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the punishment that should have fallen on us fell on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. This is literally called atonement in the scripture. Jesus covered us over and took the wrath of God upon himself. Look what John Piper says about this. The wisdom of God has ordained a way for the love of God 
to deliver us from the wrath of God without compromising the justice of God. Brilliant. God is brilliant. And it gets even better. Look at 1 Corinthians 2. No, the wisdom we speak of is the secret wisdom of God, which was hidden in former times. Though we made it for our benefit before the world began. But the rulers of this world have not understood it. If they had, they would never have crucified our glorious Lord. That is what the scriptures mean when they say, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. See, the the rulers of this age decided to kill Jesus because they had no idea that before time began, God actually planned a glory that would be beyond the glory of creation. That would happen through Christ and the cross. So our way back to being glorious has been provided by Jesus on the cross. And God's amazing wisdom that he kept hidden for so long, but now is totally revealed and out there for everyone to see. Now the question is, is knowing these first two enough? Is it good enough to know that you failed to glorify God? Is it good enough to know that Jesus, in God's great wisdom, provided this new glory on the cross for all of us that wanted it. That he died, is it good enough to know that? Is is that going to save you? And the answer is no, it won't. Because you need to acknowledge one more thing. You need to acknowledge that you need this Jesus. You need to acknowledge that you are powerless over the chains that you have put on in your life over the stuff that has kept you from glorifying God. You need to acknowledge that you need him. Look at Acts chapter 3. Now repent of your sins and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord, and he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. You know what surrender looks like? My brother Chris, I told you about him last week. He lives in a wheelchair. He's got cerebral palsy. His hands don't work, his feet don't work, his body doesn't work, he doesn't really walk. Um, Chris taught me so much about surrender. I took him to Colorado uh, when he was 17 to the camp I do there. We rappel off cliffs there. So we hook a rope to a tree and you hook yourself in this harness and you go over this 60 or 90 or 120 foot cliff. So that particular day, Chris was there. I carried Chris to the top of the mountain with my other brother, Scott. We set him on the rock there to watch everybody rappel throughout the day. When, when the time was over for us to go home, and I said, Chris, do you want us to carry you back down or would you like to rappel off this cliff? He said, oh, I want to rappel. So my friend Rife was an expert rappeller. We strapped Chris to his chest with nylon straps. My mom wasn't around. And, uh, <laughs> and we sent the two of them off the cliff backwards. It was amazing to watch because... If Chris wanted to grab the rope, he couldn't because his hands don't work that way. If he wanted to use his feet, he couldn't because they don't really work. He had to completely rest on my friend's chest and literally trust him to carry him down this 90-foot cliff to the ground safely. That picture has stuck with me my whole life. That's, that's what it means to surrender your life to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I need you to do for me what I cannot do for myself. This is the gospel, folks. You can't return to glory on your own. The only way back is to say to Jesus, Jesus, I need you to do this for me. 
let me show you how it looks. Time. So, Tom, what's surrender look like? And when you surrender and you open your hands to the Lord and you let go of these idols that he's put on, that you put on, he gets the key back from the enemy. And when you surrender, there's a power released in the universe for him to take these chains and remove them and do for you what you cannot do for yourself. And then you're free. You're free. Now that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know my experience in church and with a lot of Christians is we're still performing. We still think we have to do something to return to the glory that God made us for. I think a lot of us this morning are wearing the same chains time had on. We can't see yours, but they're probably there. It seems like whenever you present the gospel, you need to give people a chance to respond. So this morning we've put a couple crosses, one on each side here, with some places to kneel. And I just want to invite you in the next few minutes to come down to those crosses if you feel like you need to get in that position of surrender before the Lord. And, have, and let the power of Jesus break every chain in your life. I, I don't want you to come because your friends come. I don't want you to come because it's the thing to do. I only want you to come if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now about the stuff going on in your life. In a few minutes, we're going to start a song, and I invite you, if you feel the Spirit of God calling you to do that, to come. Now, you, you don't need to come here. We, we know these crosses aren't magical. You, you can surrender to Jesus anywhere on the planet Earth. But there's something powerful about when the Lord's speaking to you, leaving your seat and coming down, and, and right now taking action on that and surrendering before Him. Okay? I'm just going to pray for us, and then when I'm finished praying, the band will start, and you're welcome to come as you feel led. Let's pray. Jesus, we acknowledge that we have failed to glorify you with our lives. We also acknowledge, Jesus, that we have pursued glory in all the wrong ways. We can see, Jesus, this morning, the amazing wisdom that your Father had and putting you to death on a cross, and defeating the schemes of the enemy. Now, Lord, I pray that we would surrender to this mysterious power that was released at the cross to return us to the glory for which we are made. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.